The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. I came yesterday, and I'll talk a little bit about that, uh, and I uh, spent some time with a, with a group of your people doing this seminar called AWARE. It really is uh, uh, how to reach your neighborhood for Christ, how to reach your workplace, how to be uh, effective in, with your family, because really, we boil this all down. We forget about the name that we put on the church we attend, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Catholic, Independent, Pentecostal, whatever. The bottom line on Christianity is Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, you remember Nicodemus, a very religious guy. In fact, he was the head of the Sanhedrin and had 70 priests working for him in the Jewish economy back then. He came to Jesus at night probably didn't want to be hanging around this guy during the day, but he said, Master, what must I do? And there are a lot of people who are hungry today that are religious. There's a lot of people that have needs. So I wrote this study guide, and uh, it talks about how you can uh, reach your neighborhood, how you can touch your family, how you can be better at work. Now, none of this is in-your-face stuff. I mean, you don't walk up to someone and say, well, Pastor Derek on the front line, let's just say it was a guy, and I said, well, you need to come to, to church because you're going to hell. Now, he would probably shut me right down, man. He might slap me. And there are some well-meaning Christians that sometimes get in people's faces, but this is a, a plan and uh, how to step-by-step step do these things to really have a heart. The sad, and there's, I, I give statistics in there. Most churches aren't growing. In fact, uh, for every new church that starts in America, they're closing three or four. Most churches have plateaued. Many churches are facing, uh, when they look around the congregation, everybody's really old. Uh, I preached in a church in Sun City, Arizona. Have you ever heard of its retirement area? I'm 70 years old. I could have been the youth pastor there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, great people, don't get me wrong. And uh, so we have a bunch of these. They're $10 each. And uh, you can pick one up after the service that you would like. I so strongly believe that every family, every individual should have one of these. If you don't have $10, I'll give it to you, right? That's a pretty good deal, right? Right there? Yeah. yeah. Now, if you take one and you got the $10, someday you're going to get to heaven and St. Peter's going to say, remember when you were at church and you took Arnie's book? And... <laughs> but anyhow, that's important. And also, uh, this is the most recent book I've written. It's called The High Cost of Resentment. And uh, I tell a personal story. I was a person who never really held much resentment. I, uh, Teflon, but something happened in my life that caused me to really detest a particular individual. And it really robbed me. And as I dealt with that and reconciled with that person, then I found out that in churches across America, people have had stuff happen to them. Kids that were abused by a parent, a split in a marriage, um, a loss of a job. I mean, there's so many things. They tell us that one out of every three people in America have suffered some form of abuse and to carry that stuff. And so um, I, I miss, uh, didn't bring enough of these. I have a few left out there, but we're going to, because uh, uh, last service, it, people were just taking them like wild. Most of, most of them paid. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, 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 if you want one, if you just sign your name, I'll talk to you after. We'll ship a bunch of men. You can pick them up next Sunday. Great to be here. I'm excited. We had a great time. I, I want to talk to you on a subject, is there not a cause? And uh, we're going to have 
hopefully you're going to have some fun. You're going to be inspired. Uh, this is a great church, a growing church. The pastor was telling me yesterday and, uh, uh, that because of your growth, he used the word pinched. What he meant was, he told me one, one service a while back, he had 16 babies in the nursery. Uh, that means you've got a lot of young families here, right? And that was just one time, and, and you're growing. So what happens, now he's doing this new series on how to touch your neighborhood. And it's to touch people with the cause of Christ. But God is able to do and provide. Uh, for many years, I served on the board of the Full Gospel Church in Seoul, Korea. It was a fascinating experience. Uh, pastor David Yungi Cho is the, is the pastor there. Now, people have a hard time believing this, but they, one church, 850,000 members. Uh, they, they, their total seating on a Sunday, uh, one service is 40,000. And they start early in the morning, and you can go at 6 o'clock in the morning, and it's packed. You walk out, and there's another sea of humanity ready to come in. You walk out, it's just amazing, and literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people have come to Christ. And he was a, a, a simple peasant who had tuberculosis, and after the Korean War as a young man, uh, he was dying, and a missionary prayed for him, and he was miraculously healed. He felt called to go to Bible college and start this church, and it, it, nowhere in church history has there ever been recorded a congregation of that size. Now, it isn't necessarily about numbers, but in one sense it is, because we are called to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, when you go to Bible college or seminary, I, I took a course called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and how they see alike. Now, they're written to different audiences. In fact, Matthew was written to the Jews, Mark to the Gentiles, etc. But there, everything has to have a key, right? Did you ever? My wife yesterday was um, shopping in Green Bay, and uh, we have a car that has one of these things that you, you have to have it in the car to start the car. And the fob fell off and when she was paying for stuff. And she had a key to get in, but she couldn't get the car started. Now she's freaking out. I'm gone. I left my, my phone in the car. So she went back and she found it. You, and that car would not move without that in there. And so the key to the Gospels is Mark 10:45. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. Ransom means to buy back. Something that's taken, ransom is paid to buy it back. And Jesus shed his blood and ramps, ransomed us. And now he has called us. And so many times we just put our eyes on the church, the building, the pastor, the, the stuff that we do in the church, which are all great things. I believe in those things. I've done them all. And I think they need to be done with excellence. And there's excellence all over what you do here, from when you come in to, to everything is done in excellent fashion. But real church should take place as your new series, How to Neighbor. Jesus said this, who is my neighbor? Now, it isn't just the general vicinity where you live, your neighbors are the people you work with, the people that you connect with, your workplace, all of these areas. So in this segment of my life, I'll be 71 next month, I don't pastor a church anymore, but I travel, I write books, I do a lot of different things, but my main emphasis is to reawaken and let the church know that there's a significant cause for us, especially in the church in America, of course, around the world. Things have changed. Uh, I, uh, we got our first TV 
when I was probably seven years old, we were living in Erie, Pennsylvania, and uh, the program would go, the programs we liked, there was this puppet named Howdy Doody. <laughs> yeah, some, you got to really be old. You can go ahead and Google it. It'll, in fact, there's a, uh, a public television network in Massachusetts now that's re-showing this. And it was this freckle-faced puppet, and you could actually see all the strings and sometimes the hands and Ranger Bob. And then there was, uh, you know, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. Uh, they, they had that. And then the Lone Ranger and Tonto. You know what I mean? And then there were some other shows interspersed. Now, did you know that at that time it was illegal to... To, on TV to say the word pregnant. Now let me tell you what's happened in the last 50 years. Now they show you how to do it on TV. <laughs> it's funny, but it's tragic funny. Uh, Amer we used to, when I was in public school, we had an opening uh, uh, time of silent prayer. Teacher had a Bible on her desk. Now you get attacked for that. Now the, the confusion is which bathroom to go to. I want to tell you what. What the world needs is a relationship with Jesus Christ and a relationship with the Word of God. And that's what your neighbors need. Amen? Stuart Scott on Sports Center. I always loved Stuart. He passed away of cancer a couple years ago. He always said, can I get a witness from the congregation? You know, booyah! Well, we really want to understand that God wants to get us fired up with the cause of our neighborhood, with the cause of Christ. Uh, in this little study guide, I share some very sad statistics. Not only churches that are closing, but that the average church in America is not growing. The average church in America is shrinking. The average Christian in America uh, does not really bring a whole lot of people into a relationship with him. And we've got to get our eyes off of, well, that's the church's job, but we are the church, right? Isn't how to, but how do we re-engage? That's your pastor's heart. And I mean, I tell you what, if he has to have 10 services here on Sunday, <laughs> you know, I mean, they do it in Korea. Man, it's unbelievable what happens. And you know, I, I really, uh, it's just, is there not a cause? So we're going to shout a little bit today. We're going to hopefully get you excited, and, and I'll just get you wound up a little bit, and then pastor's going to take you the rest of the way during the, how many weeks is your, uh, semi, uh, your series? Three more weeks, or three altogether? Okay. So are you, are you ready? My wife uh, doesn't like boxing. She thinks it's brutal. She doesn't even watch that cage stuff, you know. She doesn't like to let me, I mean, she'll let me watch it, but uh, sometimes you go to bed, I'll turn it on, and you know, the guy in the penguin suit comes out, and the microphone comes down, right? And he says, let's get ready to rumble. Some of you watch that stuff, right? Well, you know what? We are in a battle. There is a heaven. I believe it. The Bible says there's a heaven. Do you believe it? The Bible says there's a hell. You know, let's, let's realize that people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ are going to hell. That's what the Bible says. Now, you might not like that, People debate it. In fact, there's a whole move in some uh, places where they're trying to eradicate hell. I don't want anybody to go to hell. All I got to do is read the Bible. Jesus spent a lot of time talking about it. He wants us to have a relationship, to know him, and to love him, okay? Is there not a cause? I want you to turn with me if you have your Bibles. It's good to bring a Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're just going to spend a little time here uh, talking about uh, King David in his early time, and uh, I, I love the story. I mean, 
of Goliath. You know, this huge Philistine, probably well over eight feet tall, I mean, and just this huge guy, this great warrior. And the Philistines were in a uh, conflict with God's children, the nation of Israel, and he was intimidating the socks off them, scaring them. Now, David was sent by his father. His brothers were serving in the military to go and see how his brothers were doing. And so he goes to visit. And uh, every day this uh, giant would come out and scream out, send someone out to me, and just made fun of God's people. You know, it's sort of like we see sometimes today. You know, there are certain segments of our society that want to make fun of Christians, right? In fact, we see a strategic move among certain political groups to eliminate biblical things from, our, from every aspect. And you know, America really, you know what America is? It was a relocation project. Persecuted Christians in Europe decided they were going to gather and, and establish a new land, one nation under God. Amen? I love America, but I don't want to see those principles taken away. And the church needs to come alive. So now David comes, and I'm going to paraphrase some of this for time's sake, but he comes to visit his brothers. When he gets there, right away he's taken with the fact that they're all depressed, beaten down, they're being shouted down by this one giant and the Philistine armies, and they don't know what to do. The king doesn't know what to do. There's depression. So David comes and finds out, well, there was an interesting set of scenarios for whoever could kill Goliath. Uh, number one, he would give that person one of his daughters to marry. Now, marrying the king's daughter, and that would probably be a pretty good deal. It was even a better deal. He wouldn't have to pay any taxes. You know what I mean? Wouldn't you like to get that kind of deal, right? Pay no taxes? But more than that, he was prompted, and he, and he, he made this statement, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should come against God's people? So he was standing up, that Goliath represented the evil that comes against God's people, right? And so he, he, so he goes and he says to the king, and to, he says, I'll take that guy on. Well, uh, Saul says, yeah, well, that'd be great. You know, I don't know, but anything's worth a shot, right? He was probably too young. He was even too young to serve in the army. Otherwise, he'd have been there with his brothers. So Saul says, well, let me put my armor on you so to protect yourself against this guy. So... He puts the armor on the young David. He couldn't even move. You know, it was, just, it was too heavy. He said, man, I can't, I can't use this stuff. Now, there is, in my mind, there's sort of a lot of things that we try to do in the church today that worked at one time. That armor worked at a time for Saul and people of his maturity and strength, but it didn't work for him. See, we keep, sometimes we keep trying to do things that worked in the past. That's what I see in the church today. And, and the church is evolving. I mean, there was a time if you had drums on the platform and, and this kind of stuff, or if you didn't wear a suit in church or, or uh, whatever. But the church is evolving. But the message stays the same. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what did this young guy have? He had five stones and a slingshot. But in his brain, he had worked for, uh, and shepherded the sheep for his father. And you can read it in Scripture. One time a bear came and attacked a sheep. He killed a bear. He killed a lion. Now, they're much more powerful than a kid. But God helped him to do this. So he figured, if I can do that, I can take care of this uncircumcised Philistine. Now, I'm going to read this verse to you from the 17th chapter 
Verse 29. This is after he picks up on all this stuff. And David said, what have I doing, what am I doing now? Is there not a cause? And really, the cause of the church and the specific cause of the series, How to Neighbor, is how for us, the cause for Christians is to reach people for Christ. But most Christians don't do it. Either they're intimidated or they did it at one time and they just sort of slipped into, well, I got a good church. I'll leave it up to the pastor. And then maybe if I get somebody to visit and they don't know Christ, they'll come to Christ. Those are all not bad things. But at the same time, how do we engage one another to reach the gospel? Is there not a cause? So now we know the story. He goes out with his five stones. Thump, hits that big old boy right between the lookers. Drops him. He doesn't die. He runs over to him. He's knocked out, unconscious, stone sticking, sticking in his head. He takes his large sword, probably almost too much for him to even lift up, and slices off his head. The stone didn't get him, but getting your head cut off will get you. That will get you every time. They should stay connected if you want to live, right? Now it's interesting what happens. And this is what I believe wants, needs to happen in the body of Christ. When people start doing and standing up and sharing the gospel, and not backing down, and taking a stand. Now, here's what happened. You, you skip ahead to verse 52. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. Their big guy got knocked down. This, this young kid did that, and now they're shouting. Well, I want to tell you today, we've got something to shout about. Jesus Christ died. He conquered death. He rose again. He's alive today. He lives in my heart, and I'm excited about it. Now, but a lot of people say, well, maybe that's your personality, Pastor Arnie, that, or whatever, and we, we have a tendency to do that. Now, let's talk about, let's go back in David's life just a little bit. Saul, the king, had lost pleasure with God. He had lost out, and the people had wanted a king, and it wasn't necessarily God's way at that time, but he gave them their heart for a king. Well, now he want, he's, Saul's still alive, so he decides the prophet is prompted to go to the house of Jesse, that's David's dad, and go to the brothers and anoint a king. So he goes to Jesse's house to anoint the king, which turned out to be David. He didn't, Jesse didn't see in his son David what God saw in him. In fact, can you imagine how excited that dad was when the prophet said, Jesse, your household, the next king of Israel is coming out of. Now, that was a big deal, right? Right? That's a big deal. So, man, they prepared the house, probably had the deal catered, and he brought his boys in, but he didn't even invite David to come in out of the field to be a part of that because Jesse did not see the king in David, right? Well, I want to tell you right now, God sees things in you that people around you don't see. In my life, I've, I'm honored to have my uncle and aunt here, Nathan and Karen Gunlickson. Uh, they were originally from Washington Island, and now they live in Plymouth, where you live? Uh, I don't think any of my mother's brothers, and I thought, well, Arnie, you know, pastoring a church, seeing things. You know, I mean, I, I, maybe they did, but I, it wouldn't necessarily have been right in, in their forefront. You see, You've got abilities and talents in you that God sees that maybe other people don't see or maybe you personally have, have downgraded yourself. And I'm here to tell you that God 
sees something special in each one of you, and he wants you to become effective in your neighborhood, effective in creative ways of sharing the gospel without being offensive, and, and then see a real turn where we take the Bible and we live it, right? God said it, I believe it, that's good enough for me. And I, I just have taken the stand on the Bible. Now, early on in my life, we were very church-going people. In fact, my dad was a Coast Guard guy and a uh, military guy, and uh, we, lived, uh, we lived in a bunch of different places, but when he retired, we settled in Sturgeon Bay, and he really didn't retire. He got other jobs. He retired sort of young and then other jobs, but we were going to go to church. Now, it wasn't an option. I could not get up on a Sunday morning and say, you know, Dad, I, I really don't feel like I want to go today. Yeah, I don't care. And back then, uh, I was a cruising, boozing teenager, okay? Are you there? And, some more, and, some, and the big thing back then, 16 to get your driver's license, 18, you could drink beer. They had beer bars when you were 18. Some of you might remember that. Of course, most of you are way past that. So we'd, you know, we'd go out on Saturday night and get home late and at home with parents. And I'd wake up in the morning. I felt like a thousand Germans ran through my mouth with brand new wool socks on. And my, and my head, boom, boom, boom. And dad would come in our bedroom and say, we're going to church today. And there wasn't, oh, dad, I'm hungover. I stayed out too late. Didn't mean anything. We went. And I went to confirmation class. And I went to church. And I believed that Jesus died on the cross. I believed that he was God's only son. I believed in the Trinity, one God, three persons. I still believe that today. But... January 3rd, 1967, 50 years ago, this last January, I sat across in a restaurant from a pastor, and he said, uh, he was referring to the loss of my sister. I tell a story in some of my books. She died of Hodgkin's disease, very young. And uh, he said, Ernie, I said to him, what, what did Judy have? I mean, she died, she's 25 or 6 years old, and three kids, and she, she had a, a, a good attitude. I mean, you'd think that would sour anybody. And he said, well, she was a born-again Christian. I said, John, his name was John Wilkerson. I said, I'm a Christian. Then he did a classic thing for me. He took me to the book of Galatians, one of Paul's writings. In the fifth chapter, toward the end of it, it lists the works of the flesh. Okay, oh, how many of you have flesh? The older I get, I get a little bit more. Right? <laughs> Stuff that was here has now lowered itself. Uh, hello, are you there? <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about. And uh, so he... The, there's 17 works of the flesh, depending upon how you break them down. And he read them to me. Adultery, that's sex outside of, you know, when you're married. Fornication, having sex when you're not married. Uh, lasciviousness and, and crazy stuff. And then a partying spirit and all kinds of stuff in there. And I, he's reading that to me and I, I'm thinking, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Are, are you tracking with me? I'm checking the wall. I wasn't all 17. There was about eight of them that I was regularly participating in. All right? And then the last part of that scriptural text reads, they that do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh-oh. You see, I tell people all the time, you can stand in your garage all day long. doesn't make you a car. You can stand in church all your life. It doesn't make you a Christian. You can go through all of the formats and all of those things, 
But Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. So I said to Pastor Wilkerson, that was January 3rd, 1967. I said, well, how do I do that? He said, you pray a simple prayer. I prayed this prayer. And I want to tell you what, it changed my life. Now, I didn't cry and weep. I didn't get hot and cold chills. But a subtle change came over my life. And all of a sudden, I had new respect for women. I, I, I realized that drinking and smoking were not a good thing. That was before they wrote on the side of the package that these things will kill you. Back then, they didn't do that. And they were only 25 cents back then. Now they're like, what, seven bucks a pack? hi yi yi To kill yourself. Think about that for a minute. So my life changed. And from that point on, I had a hunger to tell people of what happened to me. So I ended up going to Bible college, feeling the call to, to pastor and minister. So I want to tell you what, I'm still excited about it. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, nothing great was ever accomplished without enthusiasm. Say that with me. Nothing great, come on now, do it. Nothing great was ever accomplished without enthusiasm. And I was used to, and I'm not putting them down, I was used to a pretty staid, quiet church, bonk, bonk, you know, and page six, read, recite, and, and good stuff, but not a lot of enthusiasm. I learned early in life, when I was in Bible college, I had to work. So I answered an ad in a paper, and I took a job selling wherever cookware, door to door. I sold my wife a set the third time I took her out. That cookware has cost me dearly. Just kidding. But let me tell you something. We still have it. We still have it. We've had a hundred couches, I don't know how many cars, different homes, uh, stuff. But I can get up in the morning, take out a half-quart saucepan, put it on the stove, and make oatmeal in it, and it's 50 years old. It still looks pretty good. And I remember on our, when we would display it, I had a, we had a little red bag that one of the, we had in the half-quart saucepan, and I'd be showing it, and I'd slowly pour it off, and I'd say, let's get excited. And then I'd tell them all the stuff could do, and I'd, I'd bake a cake on top of the stove in 15 minutes in an 8-inch uh, frying pan. And just, I sold a lot of the stuff, believe it or not. But I was, and then you'd go to wherever meetings, and, oh, what sells wherever? Enthusiasm! You know, if you're not excited about your relationship with Christ, now I don't, you don't have to be crazy, but there should be something in your personality that tells your neighbors, tells your families, that that person has something that I need. And how you do that is by living out your life in such a way. Uh, I've got a, a book by a friend of mine, Larry Stocksdale, and it's a, it's a guide to read through the Bible in a year. And I've read through the Bible many times, but I, I try to religiously hit that. And, and a couple of, uh, weeks ago, I was reading, and he was talking about a scripture where uh, Moses had uh, the uh, priests all bring in their staffs and lay them in the temple. And, he's, and, and the bottom line is, the one that would bud would be a very special thing. And it really is a picture. So here you got a staff. It's had the bark shaved off it. Maybe it's been used as a, as a walking stick or some symbol of your religion. So all, the 12 priests bring in their staffs and lay them in the temple. The next day when they went into this temple, Aaron's rod, the Bible says, had blossomed. It was... It, was, it must have been an almond branch, and it actually bore almonds overnight. 
And what's that? The picture of me is something that is dead being resurrected. Actually, it's a very biblical picture of Christ dying and being resurrected. But it also is a picture of what I see in church people. We come to the temple. God's wanting us to bear fruit, and we just don't bear any, right? And God's saying, I want you to get involved. I see something in you, like I saw in David, that someone else doesn't see in you. Pastor came to, how long have you been here? Five years. Came, small church, Sheboygan Falls, where's that? <laughs> I had a hard time enough finding Sheboygan, <laughs> except I like bratwurst. Don't they have a big bratwurst day or something there? I think they do, yeah. But you know what? God saw a need and a pastor with a vision to see something that wasn't blossoming a great deal. And, and he believed God, and it's bearing fruit. And now God has brought you people together. Last hour, the place was full. People that can be used, but they need to have something to shake them up. They need to understand that the key to the gospel, as I've said, is the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. And we can be busy in church and many times not accomplishing as much as we need to accomplish. Because the bottom line, when I get to heaven, now I've had success. In fact, there's a, uh, I've got, I wrote a book called The Favor Factor on the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah went before Artaxerxes and he prayed this prayer. He said, give me success today. I would challenge all of you. Say, God, give me success in every area of my life so that I can be a shining example for the kingdom of God. There's nothing wrong with that. I've had success. I've seen thousands of people come to Christ. It's been amazing what's happened. But he's not, what, he, what I want to hear when I get to heaven, when I die, all I want to hear is him say, Arnie, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in. I prepared a place for you. I have an old friend. He's, he used to write tons of hymns. His name was Ira Stanfeld. In fact, if you got an old hymn book, you could look through. He wrote lots of hymns. I don't know if you're familiar with that name, Derek. But he wrote a hymn years ago entitled, I've Got a Mansion Just Over the Hilltop. He wrote another song, It's Supper Time. He talks about coming home, how, how great it was when mom, and I can remember my mother. She was going to be here today, but my older brother is sick. And uh, she would call us for supper. She baked bread. Oh, my goodness. Almost every day. And you'd walk in and you'd smell that bread. I start to drool right now thinking about it, you know? Put some peanut butter on it, you know? And, and when th those were special times, and, and Ira wrote this song regarding heaven. I'm coming home to heaven. And, 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 and this is, it just grabs me that we need to turn up the volume. It's time to shout for a change. It's time to, you know what I'm excited about? Now, we're going to do three shouts, different shouts, as we finish the message here in a few minutes. I have till 12 o'clock. Pastor said at 12 o'clock, everybody starts leaving, so you'd better be done. <laughs> a couple of you looking at, well, he's got 20 minutes. My God, I saw a couple of you looking at. Uh, we moved to Green Bay in 1992 to start a church. <clears throat> I had been pastoring in Salem, Oregon, uh, and it was a, a fairly large church. Our Sunday attendance, a couple thousand or more. And God called me to Green Bay to start a church. Now, at that time, on a, we're evangelical churches. We're churches that we don't, we're not against traditional things, but we believe you must be born again, like Jesus said. The largest evangelical church in Green Bay at that time, in my research, it was between three and 400 people. Now, that's not bad, but we came, and we were believing God. So I, I, I did a few things when we first got to town. 
I jogged around the city. Now, I was a jogger back then, and that took me a couple of days. I did it in two segments. And then I went over to Lambeau Field. Lambeau Field, the frozen tundra. And I, I sat in the parking lot and prayed to God. I said, you know, we got to reach some of these Packers. Now, it wasn't because I wanted a big-name Packer and they were going to give us a lot of money. But you find a key to communities. The G on that helmet is a lot of people's gods. Are you with me? It really is. Do you know that child abuse goes up in Green Bay and Brown County when the Packers lose? What, spousal abuse goes up? I mean, come on. It's a game. You know, you see all the guys pointing toward heaven. You got them pointing toward heaven on both teams. God's saying, I don't get it. Right? But I knew that was one of the keys. We were meeting in Vincent T. Lombardi Middle School, so I, uh, we uh, had 10,000 papers we had made every month, and we went from door to door, and we just put them on porches, telling them about our church, some good articles, and things like that. And right behind Lombardi Middle School, Sarah and Reggie White had purchased a home, and Reggie had just signed with the Packers about the same time we came to town. And uh, come to find out, Sarah picked up one of those papers, came to one of our services, and they were with us the whole time they were in Green Bay. It didn't hurt. It wasn't that he gave us a lot of money. They had a church in Tennessee. But I'd have them preach when we had Friday night services. Man, we'd hang people from the rafters. You know, people wanted to come and hear Reggie White speak. Then I, I, I sat in, in the parking lots of businesses and prayed. I said, God, we've got to reach these people. And then we bought our first house. And we were in Green Bay 15 years pastoring the church. We lived in three different neighborhoods. And it wasn't that, okay, I got my first house and they were starting a church and that's all I could afford. In fact, my last house wasn't as nice as our first house. But the reason I moved is we had evangelized our neighborhood. We had gotten to, to the point where I had touched people, helped them, got to know them, invited them to church, did random acts of kindness for them. You see, I believe in what I'm talking about today. I've lived it. And then we saw God, we built, we, when we ran out of space, we built more buildings. And we just kept building buildings. And God provided, and, and more and more people came. One Sunday, and, and I'm telling you this because a lot of you are Packer fans, and, and I became the Packer chaplain for a while. I quit the year before they won uh, the Super Bowl. If I'd have stayed, I'd have gotten a ring. Oh, I still, I lose sleep over that. <laughs> I just was too busy. And, uh, but one Sunday, we, people that gave their life to Christ, I would talk to them, and we had a, a special area where if they wanted to come and meet me and some of the staff, and there was this lady, she was in her mid-50s, came in, rather frail, and I introduced myself to her, and I said, uh, what, what's your name? And she said, my name's Jackie Nitschke. And uh, I said, are you Ray's wife? You see, I was raised in Sturgeon Bay back in the 60s, you know, Star, and Nitschke, and Horning, and Taylor, and Woo, you know, all those guys. And you, know, you know what I'm saying? And she said yes. And, I, and, she, and, she, and she had legitimately gave her life to Christ that day. And over the next uh, period of time, I got to know her. She came to church. And I said to her, what about Ray? Uh, what's the deal with him? She said, Ray's a nice man. She said, we've both gone through stuff. I've, I'm a recovered alcoholic. Uh, Ray doesn't drink anymore. But she said, Ray's mad at God. And I said, what happened? She said, when he was five, they lived in uh, Chicago, and his dad was coming home from work, and his car was hit by a streetcar, and he was killed. So as a six-year-old, five, six-year-old, he lost his life. When he was 14, he had an older brother. His mother became ill, was in the hospital, and died. So now his brother is working for the railroad. He moved Ray in with him, but he was never home. He was always out on the ra railroad, and he'd, he'd give Ray money to go eat. And Ray just 
was, took all of his anger out on the, on the football field, then went to the University of Illinois, got drafted by the Packers. We all know the story. Mad at God. So a few months after that, Jackie said, you want to meet Ray? And I said, yeah, I'd like to meet him. And there, were, there was a, a, a game, and they had tickets, and we went to the game, and Ray, she introduced me to Ray. Ray took my hand, big, tall guy, you know. He lost most of his hair. So, Pastor, he looked a little like you. <laughs> <laughs> Landing spot there, Uncle, you know what I'm talking about. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> so he says, he, he, he says uh, Pastor Jacobson, my wife likes you, so therefore I will like you. But Christianity is a bunch of BS. And he didn't abbreviate. He said, bull blank, right to me. <laughs> Jackie had fought cancer for a number of years, and about, about nine months after that, she was in the hospital. The cancer had reared up again and didn't look good for her. One day, it was a Thursday, I got a call, and it was his daughter who had come to our church and gave her life to Christ, and she said, uh, Pastor Mom's dying. She's in a coma. The doctors say she just has a matter of hours. Would you come and pray? And I had been and visited her prior to slipping into a coma. So I went to the hospital, <clears throat> Went into the uh, intensive care unit. Jackie's there. She's not, she's out. Ray, daughter, two sons. I took Jackie by the hand and I said, God, touch Jackie today. This has never happened before. It's not happened after. But the minute I said that, her eyes popped open. She goes, Ray. She named her kids Pastor. And uh, so Saturday, after the Thursday, I went up to visit her and uh, Ray was standing in the hall outside of her room. I said, I came to see how Jackie's doing, Ray. And he said, he said, I can't believe it. She's going home today. He walked up to me, grabbed me by the shoulders, looked me in the eye, kissed me on the cheek. Now, there was no evil intent there, let me tell you. It's a, it was just sort of a custom. I, I understand. I've never had that problem, and neither did Ray, okay? And he pushes me back, and he says, you're real, and I'm coming to your church. He came that Sunday... When I gave the appeal to accept Christ, he accepted Christ as his Savior. And for the next two and a half years, vital in our church, Jackie passed away about a year later. He spoke at her funeral. I did the service, but he said a few words. And he pointed at me. He said, I'm going to see my wife in heaven because of that man. And I mean, it was fascinating. A couple years after that, I was Sunday, I was watching uh, TV during the football season, and it came across the bottom of the screen, Ray Nitschke dies of a massive heart attack in Florida. Five minutes later, the phone rings. It's his daughter. She's crying. She said, we stopped at a 7-Eleven. Dad said he was thirsty. I went in to get him a Coke, and I came out, and he's dead in the car. We did the funeral live on television throughout Wisconsin. Our church grew over 300 people that Sunday from the, that Saturday of the funeral. That Sunday, so many people were touched. Now, here's the deal. Here's, here's how that worked. I said, God, you got to touch people of every uppers, outers, down and outers. And I didn't care if they were Packers or Ted Thompson who came to our church or any of those guys. To me, they were all the same. But God wants to use you to reach key people in your neighborhood and in your family to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that's something to shout about, right? So number one, quickly, we need to shout, give a shout that, man, I'm excited, right? Man, a stupid guy can get together and say, oh, it's so exciting to sell cookware. What sells wherever? Enthusiasm. For heaven's sakes, shake the dust off and start saying, I'm going to shout to the Lord that people will come to Christ 
and give their life to Christ and lives turned around and families put back together and alcoholism cut loose and drug addiction. It is rampant here. And you're the person that God wants to use. So can we do this? Are you ready? Are you ready? We're going to shout. Maybe you've never shouted in church before, but we're going to do it. Oh, i got to stay. Oh, I'm, I'm getting out of my little encasement here. They told me, stay inside the lines or we won't be able to tape you. So I went black with the shout deal there. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to shout. I want you to say, oh, Lord. I want you to shout. Lord. 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 I tell you, the first service beat you. And, they, and they, you got more sleep than they did. Lord. Lord. I shout for. I shout for. The salvation. Of my, neighbors, of my neighbors, of every area of my life. I'm excited. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Number two, we're going to shout for a wake-up call. That sort of woke you up a little bit. Yeah, maybe you needed it because you had more pillow time. <laughs> Years ago, there was a pastor in Algoma. I have a lot of fun. Some of these towns' names, you know, every time I come in from, on 41 from Milwaukee and I've got a guest with me and we come to Lake Butamore, I say, say that for me. They say butts to morts, you know. They, they, <laughs> some of these towns, like Algoma, it sounds like a disease you get in your mouth. But anyhow, back to the... But, but the pastor at the church there, the, some people from Algoma, I, don't, I hate him now. Uh, some, some people... Uh, this pastor, his name was Pillow. A lot of people had Pastor Pillow on Sunday morning. Not that pastor, but, oh, Pastor, I can't get up Pastor Pillow here. Come on. We need a wake-up call. I, I, I love history. Every year I, I have this thought when December 7th, 1941, what happened then? The day that will live in infamy. What was it? Pearl Harbor. The Japanese gathered a very strategic, well-planned hit on our uh, Navy ships that were docked in Pearl Harbor. And it was on Merciful. Some of you might have seen the movie. And they... And a few of the guys, uh, I knew an older gentleman, he told me, when he, after he saw the movie, he was just broken. He said, that was very lifelike. It's what we dealt with. Guys jumping off shifts, fire, friends dying. And, and after it was all over, now history records this interesting. Maybe some of you might know this. So the, the Air Force of uh, Japan, after they had had, the, and they didn't lose that many planes. I mean, it was just, it was major victory for them. Kicking America hard, rendering a, a big percentage of our fleet incapable of going to war. And they flew back and they were landing on the aircraft carriers of Japan. And the, the men who had planned this event gathered in the, I, guess, I don't know, my uncle could tell you, is, do they call where they steer the ship, the pilot house? I don't know if they do it on big ships, but anyhow, that's, he used to, if you ever went to Washington Island years ago, he piloted one of Arnie Richter's ferries there for years and worked for them. So they were all gathered in this huge pilot house or a place where you steer the ship and the planes were landing and these, all these guys that had planned it and military leaders, they were just jubilant, just jubilant. And the head of the Japanese, the admiral, I believe, ahead of the whole thing, said this to all of those guys. He quieted them down and said, I fear that we've awakened a sleeping giant. I want to tell you what, friends, it's time for the Church of America to wake up and to begin to take stands, and begin to love people, and begin to get involved, and get excited, 
And it's time that we wake. Some of you in this room need a wake-up call. You're just cruising along. You're on cruise control. You know, I, I was driving through the mountains a while back, and uh, there's a sign up that says, take off your cruise control. The roads are slippery, and you don't want to have it on. And I, I thought at that point, you know what? We're, too many of us are on cruise control, and when we hit slippery stuff, we spin out and we mess up. It's time to get our hands back on the wheel, our foot on the accelerator, ready to do what God wants us to do. So I'm here to have you shout today for a wake-up call. All right? Now, pastor's going to bring more levity, and he'll bring a lot of stuff to you, but I'm just here to get you woke, awakened. Right? Are you ready for this one? You ready to shout this out? Wake me up! Wake me up! Right now! I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the best neighbor. I'm going to be such a good neighbor that people will ask me, what's the deal? Now, in my little aware study guide, and by the way, like I told you, they're $10 a piece. Remember, I, I don't know if I told you or not. I'm getting old. But all proceeds go to feed a hungry family. Mine. Now, 1 Peter 3.15 Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. Now, when you listen carefully to that, we're quick to blast off to people what's going on. Now, in a church service like this, it's a good place for it. But this isn't going back to your neighborhoods or your workplace and, like I said, telling people they're going to hell and they got to come to your church or put down where they're going. That's not what we're talking about here. You'll live your life, and I give so many ways you can do this in this aware study guide and scriptural and references and things that I've been able to do, simple stuff. Then people will ask you, you know, what's your first name? Bob. Bob? Maybe I'm your neighbor, and all of a sudden you've, you've, uh, you shoveled my snow, you brought me... I brought you food when you were, or you brought me food when I was sick and, and, you, and you just did stuff for me. And at some point you say, I, I say, Bob, what, what's the deal with you? And then they've asked you for the reason and you tell them. And that's the effective way by being the best at work, the best father, the best daughter, the best son, the best per People will ask you and then it starts to roll we went to Utah to start a church. I'm just, I just moved back from Utah. We're gent they call us Gentiles. You know that? They do. Utah is another country in the United States of America, rampant with polygamy. Now, not LDS people you see around here don't practice it, but Salt Lake Valley, there's 40,000 polygamous marriages. You get outside of uh, Ogden, Provo, in that area. Southern Utah is just full of polygamists. And my son decides to leave. He could have taken the church in Green Bay. That was the plan. And he said, I want to go to Utah to start a church. So 10 years ago, I moved there with him, started a church, applied a lot of these principles, taught people these principles. Church is 10 years old. They have over 1,000 people that call it their church. Are you there? My Mormon, the Mormon bishop in our neighborhood, the city's laid out on a grid. You, can find, you don't need a GPS there. And because uh, everybody goes to the same church in the same neighborhood, said to me, Arnie, you're beating me to the draw and all the new people moving into the neighborhood. See, I lived this. I'm not teaching you or talking to you about something to cheer you on to do something that I haven't done and will continue to do till I die. I like the old Methodist code. It says, I'm going to work for God until I die, and if I lose my teeth, I'm going to gum the devil to death. <laughs> you know what I mean? I believe that we need to, get, we need to wake up. And as, as I close, there's a very familiar portion of Scripture in Ezekiel 37. And the prophet came on a valley, and the Scripture says there was a valley full of bones. 
and it said they were very dry. To me, that's a picture of many churches across the landscape of America and the world today. And God says to the prophet, can these bones live? <laughs> and he gave, the, gave God a good answer. He said, oh, only you know, Lord. Yeah. So all of a sudden, it was shaking, and the bones started to come together and connect. And then all of a sudden, muscles and flesh hit the bones. And they stood to their feet, and the breath of God hit them. And, they, and this, all of a sudden, this dead valley full of bones became this massive group that now could be affected. It's a picture of us today. And I don't have to hear directly from God. I believe that we can live and move like never before. I believe as you study this neighborhood stuff, get back into about that you can see your kids come to Jesus. You can see your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles. You can see the people at work are going to say to you because you become the best worker. You become like Joseph. Joseph got sold to slavery, was in Potiphar's house. And the Bible says everything that he did in that house was blessed. Is your workplace blessed because you're there? Are you the best? You see, we raise the level of who and what we are and we give God the credit and then people want what we have. I want you to stand to your feet. I've got five minutes before you start to leave. <laughs> and I, now, you know, we have asked for a wake-up call. We've shouted for salvation. We've learned a few things about David. We've learned about a, a rod that blossomed. And now we're launching to be the best Christian, born-again, Bible-believing neighbors that have ever been. And I say to you today, ask yourself, can I live like that? Can my bones, my flesh, my intellect, my work habits, my neighborhood approach, can these things, coupled by all the stuff pastor's going to teach you and what you've learned up to this point, I do have this saying, though. Most Christians are educated far above their level of performance. People running around to stuff all over the place, and they're not doing the first thing. But can you live? Can you get moving? We're just going to shout a couple simple words. I can. Now, here's the deal. I don't want you to shout it if you don't believe it. I'd rather have you just be honest and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm happy with the way things are, and I'm not going to disrupt my deal. But if you really want that, and we've inspired you enough today, I want you to say with me very loud, I can. Let's do it. I, I can. can. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.